I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. In the 21st century, it has to do with this entire remix. Now, in the Bible, we have two letters from the Apostle Paul to a young spiritual son whose name was Timothy. In the second letter, we call it Second Timothy, you'll find the verses that I've given to you on your worship sheet today. First, or rather Second Timothy, the first chapter, and just lifting out verse number five and using the Christian Standard Bible version of that. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy, clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and that I am convinced is in you also. Now, I'd like to lift that verse, and I want to read it again, this time from the message translation, which gives it a different flavor. That precious memory triggers another. Your honest faith, your honest faith. Paul writing to Timothy, your, Timothy, your honest faith. And what a rich faith it is. Hand it down. Would you say that, please? Yes, let's say it again with strong voices. Hand it down. That, and what a rich faith it is, hand it down from your grandmother, Lois, to your mother, Eunice, and now to you. Hand it down. Remix. For another generation. I'm always amazed when I listen to contemporary radio and I hear some of the songs that are on air now are what we call remixes. They were originally recorded in the great music era, the 1970s. And so many artists have been able to take those songs and to make them live again with some additional lyric or an additional uh, score of music or something to give it new life. The remix, handed down from your grandmother to your mother to you. And I like to speak to every young person here even those who think they're young and are not. And I'd like to use Timothy. Who is Timothy? Can you pull up on your device Acts chapter 16? Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a device, a phone, or tablet, then your paper Bible will do it also. Acts chapter 16. And I want to introduce you to Timothy. We have a record of when he and Paul first met. 
It's in Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. In Acts 16 and 1, it says, Then he, meaning Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But her, his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted to have him go on with him. So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they, they delivered uh, to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. Who was Timothy? Well, first of all, he's a young man. Would you say a young man? We don't have his exact age, but secondly, not only is he a young man, he is mixed. The Bible says that his parents were from different places or they were of different races. His mother was Jewish and now a Christian. His father was a Greek, meaning he was a Gentile. So he was not a full-blooded Jew, nor was he full-blooded Gentile. He was an outcast in society. He was considered to be a mistake because, of course, if you were Jew, even to this day, if you're Orthodox, there, there is no respect for you unless you are full-blooded. And so all of his life, he grew up being picked on because he was mixed. And he got the attention of the Apostle Paul. Well, it's good to know that even though people will cast you out, the Lord will take you in. And people are biased, they're prejudiced, and they look down on you. The number one thing that young people have to get over are the issues that we have with race and gender. Because our young people were born into a world of classes. Quite recently in remembering what happened that day on April 4th at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, 50 years ago, our memories were refreshed when it came to racism. The redneck, James Earl Ray, shooting Martin Luther King Jr. down when he had harmed nobody. Race is often something that is the most vicious demon the devil ever had. Race is terrible. Because of race, people will hire you last and fire you first. Because of race, people will look past you and act like they don't even see you. They'll cut line in the grocery store right in front of you. They'll begin a conversation as if you weren't even in the room because of race. And if we're not careful, we will let race get us in trouble. Timothy was mixed breed, but Paul wanted to carry him with him. Not only that, one of the great things about him, we read here, it said, but he was well spoken of by the brethren. 
So he was not hostile. He was not a young man that felt that he had to defend himself all the time. He was not anybody that felt that he had a chip on his shoulder because his mama was one race and his daddy was another race. So because of a chip on his shoulder, he's got to prove who he is. Isn't that one of the great problems we've got going on today? We say, well, what's going on with these people? What's going on with these kids? Why, why do they act so, so bad? And somebody will say, well, they got a chip on their shoulder because of the way they were born or the way they were brought up. Not so. His mother was a Jew and a Christian. Her name was Eunice. And according to Paul, she had taught him the same Christian principles her grandmother, his grandmother, and her mother Lois had taught. And so he was highly spoken of. Would you say that? He was highly spoken of. The Bible says in all of our getting, we need to remember to get a good name. You want to be highly spoken of. You want to be known as somebody filled with respect for others. and Somebody that uh, has a heart for the good things of the world. Well, not only that, not only was he mixed, not only was he highly spoken of, but he, listen, was willing to pay a price because of the bigotry of others. Now, Paul wanted Timothy to travel with him on these missionary journeys, but they were traveling through some Jewish territory. And you were not accepted unless you were circumcised. And because his father was a Gentile and his mother was a Jew, they had omitted circumcision when he was a baby. So here he is, I don't know, 16, 18, 20, 22, 24 years old, somewhere in that window perhaps. Here he is allowing himself to be circumcised, to go through painful circumcision. Why? Because Paul knew if we go into Jewish territory and he is not circumcised, it's going to be dangerous for him. Are you all listening to me? Sometimes you have to give up something you don't really want to give up in order to advance and get ahead in life. Let me try that again. Because we live in a society, in a world right now, where everybody talks about their rights. And it is true, we have our rights, and we should stand up for our rights. But I will say to you that there are times when you may have to take the low way down in order to get the advantage for example, uh, in this country, the United States, the Europeans came here and they took this land from the Native Americans. They even nicknamed them Indians because Columbus thought he had sailed to India. So they called them Indians and they took the land. Anybody know what I'm saying? And the Indians rebelled against that, resisted that, fought against that. Then the Europeans brought these black people over from Africa. Well, the Indians fought the white man and got put on reservations. The Africans took the low way out and began to serve what the white man thought was right, but eventually now the black man has the places that the white man used to occupy. Sometimes on a job, 
you may have to do a chore that you don't think is up to your education or up to your standards, but that will prove to be the stepping stone to get you to where you're going in life. If Timothy had not submitted to Paul's wishes, we wouldn't know him today. We wouldn't have two books in the Bible named after him. I wouldn't be preaching about him today, but Timothy was willing to pay a price, to pay a price in order to get ahead. That doesn't mean that you do wrong. What he did was not wrong, nor should we do wrong to get ahead. But it means that sometimes we have to do the wisest thing in order to win what we're going for. And so Paul took him in. Look at the mother-child relationship. You've got the grandmother who is full of faith that teaches her daughter, Eunice. So it goes from Lois to Eunice. And then according to Paul, it goes from Eunice to Timothy. That's the heritage of faith. We talk about an inheritance and passing things along. We know as black people, that's about the only thing we did get from our ancestors was the faith. They didn't have any money to leave us. They didn't have any property to leave us. They didn't have any stocks and bonds to leave us. But how many here are blessed and benefited because you grew up in church? Because they forced you to go on Sunday. Because they made you sit there even when you didn't want to be there. Because they made you go to Sunday school. They made you go to revival. They made you go to vacation Bible school. And they, they led you down the right road. And I wonder, do we still have that going on today? How many of our young people here today can say, I got my faith from my mother. I got my faith from my grandmother. In this church, we have five generations of members in this church. Going back to those born from 1925. We may have one older than that, but the generation from 1925 to 1945 is called the silent generation, those who were born in those years. The silent generation gave birth to those that we call baby boomers, 1945 to 1965. The baby boomers gave birth to those that we call baby busters, 1965 to 2003. The baby busters gave birth to what we call the millennials, 1983 to 2003. The millennials are giving birth to what we call digital natives, 2003 until now. And we have all of that in this church, that we have a rich background. We have generations in this church. In having generations in this church, one of the great challenges of today is that the Christian faith is seen as obsolete by so many because it doesn't represent some of the things that we would like to see represented. Therefore, a lot of the younger millennials and the digital natives, those that were born, say, from 1990 until now, prefer Eastern religion. They like yoga and meditation. They like karma. They like things that have different standards, and they're a little more stylish. When you look at people that make it rich in Hollywood, you say, oh, well, they're Christian science or they're, they belong to um, 
uh, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or they belong to some other kind of religion or they're Buddhists because there's this liking. We've got a fetish right now for things like that. But the faith that we're talking about is the only faith that can get you to God. It's the only faith that can get you to heaven. And that faith is the faith in Jesus Christ. When you go off to college, you'll get exposed to a lot of different teachings from a lot of different places. People will talk to you about the Dalai Lama. As a matter of fact, it is even in the school systems now where they teach the things of the Muslim world. And they say that that's something that people need to learn. They need to learn about Islam and they need to learn about Muslim. You say, but what about Christianity? They say, oh, no, that's religion. We're teaching culture. So we can talk about the Arab lands and we can talk about the good things that have to do with uh, the Muslim life. But understand that our job as parents and grandparents remains to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And there should be a handing off, a remix from generation to generation. It's interesting that millennials have higher standards than baby boomers. And that's where the problem is. That one of the big objections that millennials, the millennials have when it comes to church is that they often see older people as being hypocritical because they watched us live. And then they listen to what we say. Let me try that again. Or because we dress up for church on Sunday, but we don't dress up to go anywhere else. And so that's often seen by younger people as being inconsistent or putting on a demonstration. And in too many cases, older people are mean-spirited when it comes to younger people. They try to force them to serve God a certain way, or they angrily insist that they do something in the house of God, and they approach them with the wrong attitude. Rather than lead, a lot of times, older people are seen as bullies rather than leaders. I wish I had a witness. And so it's made it difficult to pass it down. So what millennials often do is find a church with a millennial pastor. So a guy like me that's not a millennial is seen as being old and out of touch. But a younger guy that was born around 1990, 1989, 1992 may be perceived as knowing more about how the world works right now. You see, grandmama is still trying to figure out what's all the big deal about the smartphone. As a matter of fact, sometimes you can hear grandma and grandpa say, I don't need all of that, I just want a phone. But as soon as you make a statement like that, you lose the respect of the younger generation. If you're not willing to learn what you don't know, and they can operate a cell phone from four years old. We got a problem. I wish I had a witness. Don't ever brag over the fact that you don't know how to send a text message. Don't ever brag over the fact that you've never been on Facebook. Never brag over the fact that you don't have an Instagram account. Never brag over the fact that you don't have an expensive phone. Just hold your mouth. And pretend and keep smiling. 
I pastor this church. There are five generations here. For me to stand here and say that I don't understand technology is to admit I'm out of touch with the way the world works right now. And if people can't follow you intellectually, they're not going to follow you spiritually. I wish I had a witness. If people think you don't know how to work a remote control and you still want the old-fashioned TV that you got to get up and walk across the room to change the channel, why would they want to know what you think about Jesus? We have to be sensitive for every generation and understand that baby busters are the most unpredictable of all the generations, 1965 to 1983. Reason seems to be that for whatever the reason, they are more restless than the other generation. The baby busters are people that will go to college for one thing, get a degree in it, and never get a job in it. Then they'll get a job and keep it five years, and then not only change jobs, but change careers. So they started off in medical things, and they said, well, I'm a nurse. And then five years later, they left that and became a radio broadcaster. Then they left that and became uh, a cosmetologist. Then they left that and became a truck driver. It's like they go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Now, the baby boomer doesn't understand that because the baby boomer was taught by the silent generation, 1925 to 1945. So the baby boomer, born between 45 and 65, if they get a good job, they'll stay there for 25 years. If they're drawing a good check, they don't see any reason to change. If they've got a nice house and it's big enough and it, it accommodates them and they can keep upgrading it and upgrading it and upgrading it, they will live in that house for 20 years. But a baby buster will get one house, stay in it five years, and then move up to another house. I don't have a witness. Stay in that one five years and then move across town to another house and stay in that one for five years. There's a constant shift and a constant moving around. Can anybody follow what I'm saying? Silent generation and baby boomers understand something that they call loyalty. So they will join First Baptist Carver as a child and stay in one church their entire life. No matter what happens, the, the wind may blow, the storm may come, but they say, no, that's my church. I'm going to stay right there. One pastor comes and goes, another pastor come, go, another pastor come, go. They say, oh, no, this is my church. I'm going to stay right here. But a baby buster and a millennial will stay in a church as long as they think they're getting something out of it. And then once a few years, two, three, four years at the most go by, they'll move on to another church. Then another new preacher comes to town, start a church. They'll see that on television, go there to a women's conference, and then they'll move on to that church. I don't have a witness here. A baby boomer, a baby boomer and a silent generation person can get a job and stay on it until they retire. But a baby buster don't ever think much about retirement. It's just always the next and the next and the next. That's why when it comes to church attendance, over the last 15 years, the churches got confused. Because we were used to the fact that if anybody came and joined the church, they would be there. 
But to see people shift and move around, move in and move out, be here for two years, go somewhere for two years, go somewhere else for two years was foreign to us because there's a difference in the generations. When the young people serve the Lord and we create opportunities for service, for too many of us, we don't really understand we're all worshiping God together. It's not that the old folk are letting the young folk have dance in the church. It's not that the old folk are letting the young folk have a youth conference. The dance and the youth conference or whatever else young people do is just as important as what the old heads do. That is not we're letting them do anything. The truth of the matter is we need to understand why we're dancing. Because in too many churches, dancing is just the trend we picked up from, from some other church that we saw do it. And we said, oh, well, that's nice. We need to do it down at our church. But why are you doing it? Where is it in the Bible? What is the scriptural reason why we do it? What are we doing bringing choreography to God? Where is that right? And the average person can't even tell you where it's right. They just think it's a nice thing to do. We've got to bridge the generational gap. Paul wanted to take Timothy. The other guys were Paul's age. Timothy was youthful. But Paul knew this. Unless we're all working together, we ain't going nowhere. I wish I had a witness here. I was at a meeting a few days ago. A district meeting of several churches. Under a dozen churches participate now. And when I used to live in that area, it was nearly 30. Now it's less than a dozen. And you know what I keep, kept hearing them say? We need to get us some young folk. We need to get us some young folk. Guess why? Because of all of the dozen churches together, they have no youth. Let me try it again. Do you know there are churches in this city that don't have a youth department? You know there are churches in greater Birmingham that have no youth fellowship? That have no children at all? Wonder why. Paul wants to take Timothy. We got too many Pauls that want to go whether there's a Timothy to go with them or not. And the truth is if you ain't got Timothy going with you, you ain't going nowhere. So what do we need to do? We need to understand. Say understand. Let me say this rather quickly to the young people who are here and to all who are here and then I'm done. We need to first of all focus. You need to focus on your potential. Timothy had potential. So we focus on what? Your what? Potential. Now, this is where I stopped last Sunday. Potential includes your vision. Potential includes your values. And here's the third thing where I had to stop. Your voices. Your voices. Your vision. Your values. Your voices. Who is speaking into your life? Who is speaking into your life? You have three enemies, the devil, the world, and the flesh. When you talk about the devil, the Bible calls him the wicked one. He's a murderer. He's a liar and the father of lies. He's an adversary who seeks to devour you. He's called that old serpent. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And the devil is your enemy. The devil 
opposes all good things and all success. And the devil speaks to you. The devil speaks to discourage you. The devil speaks to destroy you. The devil speaks to kill you. The Bible said the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Every Christian has the devil for an enemy. The devil is real. But the second thing is the world. Would you say the world? Now, 1 John 2.15 said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now, when it talks about the world, it's not talking about the earth. Sometimes I've heard people in church say, ain't nothing wrong with the world, it's the people in the world. Well, no, you don't understand. No, 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 that's not true. That's not true. Yeah, there's plenty wrong with the world. There's nothing wrong with the earth. The earth. But the world means the cosmos. It means the world system. You see, the world is what the Bible is talking about when it talks about worldliness. Love not the world or love not the systems of the world. It said that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God loved the world. God loved the people. God loved the people even though they were sinful. The world has a tendency to lead us into sin. Now, when you talk about the devil, the devil's job is to offer you a way to destruction. That is also the world's job. Now, here's what's happening, church. We don't really realize or understand like we used to the difference between the world and the church. And too many worldly things have come in the church. And the church has tried to use too many worldly things in order to grow. So I said, well, we're going to do some of this because people like this. And so we're going to do this because young people like this. And so we end up borrowing from the world in order to draw people to Christ. But understand, the world is dangerous. That's why you have to be careful about the music you listen to. Because the music from the world is not designed to help you. It's really designed to seduce you. Music from the world. And the truth is, we know songs better than we know scripture. You got some people in church, they think that some songs that they sing, uh, you know, well, that's in the Bible. No, that's not in the Bible. That's a song that we sing. It's not in the Bible anywhere. And the truth is that black folk have always mixed their Christian walk with their worldliness. Come on now. You can be listening to the radio, listening to Luther Vandross. After that, they may play, I don't know, Anita Baker or something or another. After that, they may play something by Maxwell. And after that, they may, you know, uh, play something by... Uh, by um, uh, music soul child, you know, and then after that, they'll play Kirk Franklin. Now, wait a minute. Kirk Franklin ain't got no business being played after music soul child. That's two different places. You know, you just heard one song talking about having sex. And then the next song, and I mean it's talking about having sex with somebody you ain't married to. 
Then the next song is about holding up your hands in worship. That's two different places. I mean, why don't we do that on Sunday? Let's just strike out on reasons right now, music soul time. Reason, reason that we're here. I mean, why can't we just do it like that? Why is it you only want church at church, but then at home you'll mix the world and the church together and think it's all right? I don't have a witness here. See how quiet it is in the room? Because we, we just mingle and mix it all together. I mean, you know, we'll leave revival and go right to the club on Friday night. We just mix it all together. And then we say, God is involved in it. No, listen, the world has an agenda. You know what that agenda is? That agenda is seduction. It's to cause you to live in unbelief. So the world is about pleasure, and you have to watch worldliness when it comes to fashion. People say, well, I can wear what I want to wear. Really? I don't think Jesus' mother Mary would have on a skirt that short. I don't think she would have. He said, but I'm not Mary. Well, no, but at the same time, we have to watch worldliness. You know why some people struggle in life? Because they try to keep up with the world, but you can't keep up with the world. Then you have to watch worldly opinions and worldly goals and worldly aims. Don't think like the world. Understand that as believers that we have a new mind and we're to think with that new mind. So we've got the devil, that's one enemy. We've got the world and then the third enemy is the flesh. The flesh. There's a traitor living within me. It's a setup. There are two of me living in one place. There's the born again me, but the old me is still here. The born-again me didn't get rid of the old me. And so the Bible said the flesh lusts or wars against the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit against the flesh. Galatians 5, 17. Paul says, I keep under my body or I keep my body under subjection. You know what Paul said? Paul said to make myself do right, I beat on my body to make my body do right. That my body wants to do things that I shouldn't do. And so the only way to make myself behave, I have to beat myself. So we've got the flesh, we've got the world, and we've got the devil. What we need to do is focus on purpose. Focus on your purpose. That means, first of all, you need to change your mind. Would you say that, please, everybody? We need to what? Change your mind. Boy, your mind can play tricks on you. You even need to take control of your thought life. Sure, you say, well, I can't help what I think about. Oh, you can, yeah, you can't help what occurs to you, but you can help how you dwell on it. Because dwelling on it can encourage you to do things that you shouldn't do. 
You can even take control of your dreams at night. I learned as a little boy that when certain things would happen through the day, if I said out loud, no, I won't dream about that tonight, I would never dream about it. You said, but your dreams, they just run on their own. No, you can take control over what you dream by what you speak out loud, taking authority over even your dreams. Change your mind. Would you say that again, please? Change your You see, the mind is a powerful thing. The book Genesis chapter 11, God said, whatever people imagine to do, they can do it. If you can imagine it, you can do it. You may not be able to do it today. It may take years. But the Bible said if you imagine it, you can do it. So we've got to take control of what we think about. The Bible said think about good things. Think about lovely things, honest things, and pure things. Don't think about gossip. It is not good to live on social media. It's all right to check it every once in a while. But it's not good to live your life on social media looking at what others are saying and others are doing and then getting involved in arguments. Have you ever seen people argue on Facebook? Have you ever seen people argue in text messaging? Anybody in here ever argued in text messaging? They send you a long text, you send them a longer one back. They send you a long one, you send them a longer one back. Their language goes to a certain place, your language goes to a certain place. I wish I had a witness here. Listen, you've got to change your mind by controlling that which is around you. But here's the second thing, and I'm almost done. Confess your mistakes. Now, we live in a time when everybody wants to blame everybody. Say, so, well, I'm this way because my mama was that way. Or I'm this way because my mama and my father didn't give me enough love or didn't pay me any attention. Or my mama and my father mistreated me and this is why I'm this way. That may have some merit, but at a certain point in your life, you've got to decide that you're not going to put the blame on anybody else. I'm in charge of my own life. I wish I had a witness. This is a world where we love to self-diagnose our condition. Well, you know, the reason I'm this way is because my mother was an alcoholic. My father was a drug addict. That may be true. She was an alcoholic. He was a drug addict, or he still is, and she still is. But at a certain time in your life, you got to recognize if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. I'm not going to serve that negative upbringing that I had. I know mama used to beat you and I know daddy used to cuss you. But at the same time, you've got to get to the point in your life when you stop blaming those that raised you and take authority because you've got a heavenly father who's never beat you, who's never cursed you, who's never spoken negatively to you, but only wants your good for your life. So I got to learn to take, take responsibility for my own mess ups. Can I tell you standing here, I think I've messed up more than I've gotten things right. I think I've done more wrong in my life than I've done right. But I am not a slave to my mistakes. And I am not a slave to my error. And I'm not a slave to what I've done wrong. I thank God for mercy. 
Let me try it again. I say, I thank God for mercy. And I'm telling you, your mama might have been a hoe and your daddy might have been a trick, but that ain't got nothing to do with how God can bless you. God can bless you. God can lift you. God can elevate you. God can put you in charge of your city. I wish I had a witness. Like Barack Obama, a mixed man of mixed breed with a mama and a daddy that was not remarkable, that had nothing that he could brag about, but God raised him to a place of authority. Don't you think because of your upbringing or because of the house you grew up in or because men came in and out in the middle of the night that that's got anything to do with how you'll come out? As a matter of fact, if you let it, it can work in your favor. I wish I had a witness. If you let it work, it can work for you rather than against you. But here's the third thing, and I'm getting done. Challenge your maturity. Challenge your maturity. Say that, please. Challenge your maturity. Well, if you're grown, be grown. Oh, help us, Lord. I said, if you're grown, be grown. If you ain't grown, don't pretend to be grown. I mean, if you're grown, be grown. Grown people pay their own bills. Grown people make their own money. Grown people pay their own rent. Grown people buy their own car or, or arrange their own transportation. Now, don't you talk to me telling me you grown, then turn around and ask me for money. I don't have a witness here. Don't tell me you grown and I still got to pick you up and drop you off. If you're grown, be grown. Challenge your maturity. I wish I had a witness. Listen, I married as a teenager. I had two jobs as a teenager. I had a child and then another child. By the time I was 21 years old, I had two children. Listen, I had a house. I had two cars. I had a job and I had two churches. I wish I had a witness in this room. Listen, if you're going to be grown, be grown. And mama, let me be grown. Let me be grown. Because the truth of the matter is that my job as a parent was to raise responsible adults. That doesn't mean that we don't support where we need to. Certainly not. That doesn't mean that we don't, that we don't come along and, and do what needs to be done for the good of our family name. Yes, we do. It would be wrong not to do that. But we have to recognize what maturity is about. Challenge your maturity. Oh, man. See, it just seemed to me, if you're going to be cussing and all that, you ought to have your own place to live. You walk around 14, 15 years old cussing folk out. Let me try that again. You don't like what I'm saying. See, the truth is, you're going to talk grown, smoke grown, drink grown, and sleep around grown. <laughs> no, I ain't got no help in here. I, I just thought y'all would be slinging chairs all over the room. I mean, I mean, the truth is now, the truth is you're around here 
uh, you know, just doing what grown folk do. You're announcing your independence. You just can't come creeping in the house 2.30 in the morning. Challenge your maturity. And then lastly, let's go home. Connect to the master. Now here's what I want to say that no matter what generation you're from, we all have the have the, the the obligation to learn to worship and praise and connect with God in our own way. <sighs> I grew up with, you know, in in the church where it was a lot of moaning and groaning. Y'all remember the moaning and groaning church? They call it devotion, the first 30 minutes. They moaned and groaned a while. Boy, they'd moan and groan through one song, then they'd moan and groan through a prayer, then they'd moan and groan through another song. And I, I understand some of that because, you know, a lot of them, they pick cotton and they share crop. You know, and a lot of them, a lot of them, a lot of them had no education. Some of them couldn't even read. But I want to moan and groan in church. You know why? I ain't got nothing to moan and groan about. I'm blessed. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I wish I had a witness. I, I'm not getting up in the morning going to the field, picking cotton. I said, I'm blessed. Are you blessed? Well, that's why when we come to church here, we don't moan and groan. We celebrate. See, our first song is not some low pulling your feet out of the mud, some the muck and miry clay song, because that ain't us. That ain't us. We, we, we're riding pretty nice. We're living okay. I mean, that ain't us. We got a little money on us and got a little more in the bank. I mean, that ain't us. We got some education. We, we understand some things about the world. We got some respect out here now. And so we're not moaning and groaning talking about how hard it is to get along. You just can't hardly get along. But you got to let me and you got to let younger people and older people connect with the master in their own way. You can't force your worship style on me. One preacher struck out on that old hymn, a charge to keep I have, a God to glorify. And then he said, we need to go back to that. I'm like, brother, you go back by yourself. I ain't turning back. I'm going forward. And what I learned is the more I praise him, the more he blesses me. As long as I'm moaning and groaning, I'm not bringing any faith to God. But as long as I'm praising him, the more he blesses me. The more I lift my hands up, the more he blesses me. The more I dance and leap, the more he blesses me. The louder I open my mouth and sing, the more he blesses me. Let me connect to God. And I want to say to every Christian in this room, learn how to connect to God. You don't have to pray on your knees. You don't have to pray laying flat on your belly. You may be sitting in a chair, riding in a car. It may be in your bathroom every morning. It might be before you go to bed at night. But learn how to connect to God.
my testimony is not your testimony. The way God delivered me is not the way he'll deliver you. But you got to meet him for yourself. And you got to know him for yourself. And you got to know how to get a prayer through. And you got to know what the Lord will do for you. Yes, Lois had faith. Yes, Eunice had faith. But Timothy's got his own faith. And that faith that he had stands on the foundation of grandmama and stands on the foundation of mama's faith. But it's Timothy's faith. I'm through. Stand up.